Well, in our first two weeks of Ecclesiastes, we've gone through a journey. Uh, Solomon has had a journey of, of his own. He's trying to seek the meaning of life. Um, he looked at life from different perspectives. We pulled some truths out of, uh, out of chapter 1. Life is short. Uh, that life is um, monotonous and, and repetitive, yet it, it's also complex. And, and I try to think, well, how is that even possible? But if anyone's worked the same job for 20, 40 years, and, and you have the, uh, the same drive to work and the same schedule, and, and you, you can start to see how there's uh, uh, repetitiveness or, or monotony, but then one, one experience and all of a sudden life is complex. Uh, maybe a small experience, maybe something really big and life-changing, and like, well, what's, what's the meaning in all this that's, that's, uh, that's simple or, or, um, or monotonous or repetitive? And, and, and now all of a sudden there's this complexity. And then Solomon decided to pursue uh, happiness or meaning, um, and, he, and he couldn't do it. Uh, but last week we looked at his journey uh, through different avenues to try to find happiness, and, and we learned that we cannot earn happiness, that life is meant to be enjoyed, not mastered. Life is a gift, not gain. And so... Um, today, in, in a, the first part of Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon does the same thing. He, he tries to find meaning in life. But he's going to take a huge turn this morning that I, I love so much. Uh, when we get there, um, now the first part of Ecclesiastes 3, the scripture that I'm going to read is mostly read at funerals, so it's kind of down. But this idea that we are looking for meaning in life from our perspective uh, we'll, get to the, we'll get to the change, the exciting part, in just a little bit, I think, here. Uh, but let's start in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent, you'd like that, wouldn't you, and a time to speak, <laughs> a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And, and when I read this, I thought there has to be some kind of congruency in this text here. There has to be right and wrong, or good and bad. So I started looking at some of these. There, there's a time to kill and a time to heal, and um, I think we'd choose the healing for the most part, but I, I can see where there's other, other ways. Um, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Well, of course we would choose laughter over weeping. Um, and and I thought, well, there's not really good and bad, and there's not always right and wrong. A time to embrace, and a time to keep from embracing. Well, that doesn't mean that embracing is bad or not embracing is bad, but there's a time for it. And so I think what Solomon's doing is looking one more time here at life to try to find meaning. He's simply saying there are many different times in life. Life is a, a roller coaster. Um, so first thing we do is we look to our lives for meaning. And this roller coaster of life, we think, well, if, if, if life is going so well and I'm up here at the top and then it goes down, well, the only place to go is up. I mean, we, we've, we probably hear that, the cliches that, you know, if you're at the bottom, you know, the only place you can go is up. Well, sadly, that's not, that's not always the case. That's not always what happens. We're not always going to go down and then all of a sudden rise back up to where we were. We might be down here for a long time. We might be in the, in the, in the, 
in the darkest shadows of our lives for more than we would hope. Some people might be up here for a long time. We'd, maybe we just want to shoot for the middle, smooth sailing. Um, but Solomon's pointing out that these experiences, these relationships, these times in, in our lives, um, they just happen. And we don't get to choose. We choose the, maybe we choose a relationship that we want, um, but we don't get it. Or maybe we're forced to have relationships with people because they're our family or our coworkers. Not that I would say anything bad about either because there are, some of you are here today, but, um, but we don't always get to choose though, right? You, you know that. Um, and Solomon, I, I think he's really just saying, guys, life happens. And then he speaks on it. He says, uh, what do workers gain from their toil? Well, we answered this last week. He answered it. Not much. And then he says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. This burden is life. Uh, there, there will be lows. Um, but all of a sudden, there's a quick turn this morning. Uh, verse 11, we're going to get to it. Hold on just a second. This is the best verse in, in the entire chapter, um, and, and we're going to come back to it a few times, but I just simply want to read it and soak it in. And it says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What was Solomon pursuing in life? Meaning, happiness. All of a sudden, he comes to this conclusion uh, that life is going to happen, and he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. That's comforting. He has also set eternity in the human heart. We know that. We, know, we long for more. We long for something else. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This, that's, just, that's good stuff. We'll come back to it. Verse 12, he says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. So we look to God for meaning, and we find it, although we may not understand He's done looking to himself for meeting. Now all of a sudden he's looking to God for meeting and he finds it. But it's confusing. We don't, we don't always get it. Um, now I don't know, I don't know at all. I don't know everything and I don't want to give that impression to anyone. And, and the more that I come up and preach and share what I believe, uh, the more that I am learning that we don't all agree on everything. And, and that's okay. Um, because we, we have freedom through this text this morning uh, to, to see that we, we don't all have to believe exactly the same thing on everything. We don't have to interpret the Bible the exact same way as the other person. Um, although it does matter what we think about God and who God is, um, Solomon gives us freedom here. He, he says that it's going to be beautiful. He says that it, someday it will all make sense, but not today. That's, man, that's just so liberating. That makes me feel a lot better to, to see that and to have opinions on things and, and to know that someone else has a different opinion. That's, that's okay. He says, who could possibly fathom God's ways from beginning to end? Not me. Not, not, not any of us. We, couldn't, we can't possibly do it. And that's okay. God is in control. Um, we, we, are in a, we are stuck in the, the, the realm of time, and God is not. So, so if Solomon... Um, well, he, uh, he, he starts to question things a little bit. And, and the thing that I look to is, well, when we look at that roller coaster ride, and, you know, you have the really good and the really bad, and if you've been down here for a long time, and you're looking to meaning 
and you're, you're looking to find that uh, through your life experiences, well, you won't do it. And, and so, but if you did, and you couldn't trust God in life because life's just not going very well, how could you possibly trust God in eternity? If this is what he offers now, I mean, how can we trust what he's going to offer is great? That's what Solomon's wrestling with here. Listen to his trust, though. He says in verse 15, Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. God will make everything right. I mean, Solomon uh, looked around and he saw that life wasn't fair. He saw that there were people at the top and people at the bottom. And, and it wasn't just his view of, of judgment, but he said, I looked for, for judgment and, and there was wickedness. And I looked for justice and more wickedness. And this is the king. And he wants the kingdom to be, to be ran well. He wants life to make sense. He wants to find meaning. And he sees all this unfairness. But God will make everything right. He keeps going because he wants to know when will this happen. Verse 18. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. God will make everything right, but not today. It's not going to happen right now unless Jesus comes back today. It's not today. Another reminder of the curse that we live in the broken, fallen world, that life on earth will begin and end for all, and there will be life in the middle. And we have no idea why things will happen the way that they do. And if you don't believe in Jesus, this, this bottom, well, that's, that's, the, that's better than anything we will get. We know that without Jesus, we are cursed, that we have an eternal damnation in hell apart from Jesus. And we don't want to think about that. We don't really have to all that much if we if we accept Jesus, I mean, we need to know what the, what the penalty is, but what a, what a great gift. That's what we're going to look at a little bit more today. That's what I think Solomon was start, starting to wrestle with. Uh, see, but it, it doesn't seem really fair because Solomon, well, he had it all. I mean, this guy was, it would be like if, if Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett or Bill Gates wrote this book of, hey, all the hard times in life, and he's got more money than anyone else. Um, but Solomon actually did have some problems. Uh, see, I, I don't know if, if you heard or remember that Solomon's biggest concern was losing everything. He was losing his kingdom. And um, he, he broke a command from Deuteronomy 17. He married a foreign woman who, uh, or foreign women who worshiped false gods, and it led him to do the same. And so God said, I will rip everything away from you, or almost everything. And that's exactly what happened. Solomon knew it was going to happen, and after he died, it did, and the kingdom divided, and, and, uh, and Solomon's biggest fears played out. So even someone with, with everything, biggest fears still played out. And, and so then Solomon, he asked, he asked a couple really good questions that leads to very good answers. Now, this is a little bit challenging because his questions, the answers aren't necessarily in Ecclesiastes 3. And, and there's a reason for it. And a couple weeks ago, Mark reminded us that Ecclesiastes was written long before Jesus walked the earth. We know Jesus existed even, even before creation. But Jesus hadn't come and, and died and rose 
um, which I want to talk about that a little bit more later too, but Solomon wrote these words, but he still had eternity on his heart. There was still a longing here. And, and so today, uh, we, well, we had seen that Solomon kind of starts putting this all together, that God gives both now and forever. And today his question leads us to, I think, a really good answer. It's verse 21. He says, Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? We need to be comforted. God is in control. There is more. In despair, Solomon is wrestling so much with this idea, with the hard questions in life. Solomon, like us, had eternity in his heart, but he didn't get to see it then. Now, we have a huge advantage because we've been, we've been given the truth through Jesus Christ, who, would, who taught us and showed us and showed us what the hope meant and show, showed us what the love of God looked like. But in spite of the darkness, in spite of, of Satan and his attacks on us, we still know God is in control. Now, what I know or don't know doesn't change who God is. What you know or don't know doesn't change who God is. I can go through life believing one, one thing or having a set of beliefs about who God is and what he does and how things play out, and I can try to grasp all of this, and then the next day I might, have, I might change my mind. Someone might talk to me, I might believe something differently. That does not change who God is, and that's so important. Our minds, we can try, but we can't fathom everything. But we need to keep that in mind that just because what, what I think and what I believe doesn't change God. And that, that's, some, that's really good stuff, uh, I think, to, to cling to. Because there's a couple of things in life uh, that, that have helped us to understand this. Well, Solomon understood that happiness could not be earned. He wanted meaning. He wanted happiness. Could he earn it? No. Could he still have it? Yes, God gave it to him. God gives. He learned that. Death, he learned that everyone will die. We will be born and we will die. Can anyone possibly conquer that? No, but Jesus did. See, we, we can see what an all-powerful and all-loving God looks like because of Jesus. It's that simple. We look to the cross as a reminder of God's faithfulness to us, that he's so loving that he put Jesus on the cross for our, for our sins, for us. And, and then he was buried, and, and, and on the third day, he rose again. That's power. I can't understand everything, but I can understand that, and I think we all can. I think he wanted, us to, he wanted all of us to understand he loves us, and he's powerful enough to be our God. Be comforted. God is in control. Solomon finishes, verse 22, So I saw that there is nothing better for a person to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. Then another question. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Who can bring them to see what will happen after them? That's a tough question. So we should be challenged. God is in control. Live for more. We found the comfort. Now we do something about it. Now we actually live differently than the person down the street who's not at church right now. We change the way we live. We change our lives because we know God is in control. We have that comfort. Now we, now we see the challenge. Who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Who can see? Who can, who can bring us to see what's next? Who can answer the questions that we don't have? It's the same all-knowing God. He brings judgment that Solomon was looking for. He brings new life that Solomon was trying to find in the first place. The challenge. I, on Thursday, I read an article uh, by J.D. Greer, and it's called Four Ways 
the promise of heaven transforms your life today. I think this is great application in finding the comfort and seeing the challenge and seeing the questions that Solomon had in the pursuit of life and where do we go from here? He, he comes up with this question. He says, if you were to truly grasp the beauty and hope of John's vision of the promise of heaven described in Revelation 21 and 22, what would change about the way you live your life? If we really believed in a perfect heaven, how would we live differently? And he offers four answers. These are just his four. We could have different ones. But he says this. Number one, we should put up our bucket lists. Now, a bucket list is, is something that, a list of things you want to do or experience before you kick the bucket or before you die. Um, do we really believe that this is it? Now, if I say, well, I'd, I really want to go to, uh, to Hawaii or, or Jamaica or, um, or Italy or, or anywhere in the world before I die because I want to experience that, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think you should go and enjoy that. But, but deep down, do we really believe that I need to do that? because I will never experience anything like that in heaven? I mean, to really think God created all that, but did he do any better in heaven? I don't, I don't really know. I need to think about that. No, we, we really need to believe that and grasp that and, and live differently. The only thing we can't do in heaven is tell people about Jesus. So we can do that now. Now, I would like to enjoy any of those trips, but uh, again, do I believe there's more? Number two, he says, we should stop being depressed about aging. Now, this is, a, this is a tough one for me because there are a few people in here who are uh, older than me. Um, first service, I really like that because most of them are a lot older. But, uh, but I'm 32 and I would like to live a little while. I, I, would, I, wanna, you know, I just want to see how I do. You know, just, uh, I know there'll be ups and there'll be downs and, and hopefully the more ups than, than downs. But, but still, I just kind of want to see how it plays out. Um, but, but whether you're 32 or 12 or 92... Are you thinking more about now, or are you thinking more about heaven? We, we know what's in front of us is easy, but in terms of our investments and, and what we're putting our energy into, and um, what are we really doing with our time here? Number three, he says we should teach our kids to look forward to the promise of heaven. Now, this one hit me a lot more because I have a three- and a five-year-old, uh, both girls, and, and, uh, and Greer says this. He says, teach your kids that for all that they love on earth, there will, be an ever, there, will, there will be even better version of it in heaven. Teach them that they have a heavenly father of endless goodness and creativity. He, he just says, help them imagine, uh, what's this cotton candy going to be like in heaven? And, and so, what, what a challenge. I, I thought, well, my girls, they love wearing dresses, they love princesses, they love Disney movies. I really want them to go to Disney World. I think they're too little and they won't remember everything now, but in a couple of years I'd like for them to go there. Um, and we've talked about it a little bit, and I know they're excited, but have I built up more excitement in their life to go to Disney World than to go to heaven? I know this, is t- this is tough. I, I don't want my girls to go to heaven right now. I want them to go someday, but not now. But, but are they looking forward to it? And we've had some opportunities to talk about heaven uh, when, when someone has died, we've, we've said, well, they're in heaven now. Well, they'll ask, well, is Jesus there? Is God there? What's it like? Is there, is, is there, Harper even asked, is there a room for me? It's like, yeah, there is. And, and as much as I want to turn the conversation to, hey, what about Disney World? Uh, just to get them excited um, and, and start, start them young to, to keep them in that mindset that there is more um, than, than what we have right now. Number four, he says we should... We should understand what we are longing for. 
Now, this is tough. Solomon says we can't understand or fathom, but Greer wasn't saying that. He, he was meaning this. He said, you long for meaning in eternity because you were created with meaning by an eternal God. You will be satisfied only in relationship to him. It, it's not understand, it's remember. Remember this, uh, what, why we're here in the first place. And, and then, and, and this, this whole idea here, this, this idea of God being in control, well, how, how do we know this? I mean, truly, how do we understand when we look at our lives and we look at what's happened? Well, we don't. We don't look anymore in that direction. Um, we see his faithfulness has no limits. Who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Who can bring us to see what will happen after our time here? Well, I, I, I wanted to answer that with, with some thoughts, but um, I thought, well, the Bible says it a lot better. So I, I want to close... Um, kind of close. I'm going to keep talking for a while because that's what I do. But, uh, but I want to close with Romans 8, 31 to 39. And this is, again, another scripture that I read, uh, that's read at funerals a lot. Um, but, it, but it answers these questions and it says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? See, the first idea of, of trust. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, Solomon was seeking that justice and saw wickedness and judgment and saw wickedness. Real judgment here. Judgment and grace at the same time. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to 35. I'm jumping around. Who shall separate, separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life. Solomon was looking to life for meaning. When we look to God's love, who can separate us from the love of Christ? He says here, not, not even life. You know those relationships and those emotions and those experiences, things that you've done that you wish, I never did this. I wish that I uh, didn't commit that sin and I carry this guilt and this shame and it's never going to leave me. And, and this happened to me when, when I was a, a child, and I'm going through this now, and I don't really know if God loves me. See, we, he, he's saying when you look to life to find meaning, even the meaning of, of God loving you, it's easy to be separated from it if you look that way. But when we look to Jesus, no, neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If time has any value to us, and what I mean is, just as Solomon, the times in our life, if life has any value to us in answering this, the answer is in verse 11 again. I said I'd come back to it. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything. There is not a lot of beauty in a lot of things in this world. He has made everything beautiful in its time. God is in control. God has made it right. He has set the uh, eternity in our heart, and we can't understand, but, but we can understand this. 
that God is in control, he is faithful, and we look to the cross as our proof. We look to Jesus as our proof. There will be a time of beauty forever. It's hard to believe it now. That's what we read. That's what Solomon came to the conclusion. Stop looking to life and to find happiness and meaning. It's not there. Look to God. He has offered it to you through Jesus Christ. If you don't know who Jesus is, if this, some of this is confusing or that passage in Romans 8, it doesn't all make sense, God sent his son, his own child, to die on the cross for your sins. And then the Spirit went into Jesus and, rose, and he rose from the dead. He knew life. The only person that could, that could possibly do this, God did this through Jesus because of you, because of his love for you. If you have a decision to make, if you would like to accept this new life, or at least just to talk about it, please come forward. Um, either after the service, find me, or, or see a prayer counselor. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I come to you in humility, knowing that you are so much greater and bigger uh, than I could ever even fathom. Even, even looking at, at, your univer- at the universe and the galaxies and, and trying to understand how big you possibly are, I know we can't grasp this, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that, that you made a way through, uh, through the Bible, through the truth, that we could understand uh, just enough to know uh, that there is someone bigger, there is someone powerful and loving and in control and watching over us. And so I just ask that we continue to seek, seek your truth, uh, to share what matters, uh, to love you and to love others in a way that is pleasing to you. Thank you for Jesus, and it's his name we pray. Amen.